0: Welcome to episode 74 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is Emily Freeman. After many years of ghostwriting, Emily made the bold choice to switch careers into software engineering. Emily is curator of JavaScript January, a collection of JavaScript articles which attracts 30,000 visitors in the month of January. She is vice president of developer relations and product marketing for Kickbox and lives in Denver, Colorado. So Emily, can I ask you to expand on that brief summary and tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Sure. First, happy to be here. So my background was actually in writing. I went to school for political science and I worked in PR for a little bit, hated PR, found a nice niche in ghostwriting for a few years. Uh, I had a freelance writing business called Editing Emily, which is where my Twitter handle comes from. And then I kind of hit a ceiling on what I was learning there. The story I like to tell is I had an argument with a client about how to spell the word okay, whether it was capital O, lowercase k, <laughs> capital O, capital K, or O-K-A-Y. And I remember just sort of staring at my desk like, I don't want to have this conversation again. Like <laughs> I'm just sort of done with this. So yeah, face the neg- next big challenge, which was uh, moving into engineering and thought that I would never use my writing background again, or that it was sort of a waste of time. I I felt at that point, a little bit like a failure. And then entered into engineering. And it turns out writing has significantly helped me in my engineering career. So that's been a very, very interesting uh, progress. But yeah, I, I was an individual contributor in Java also involved in the Ruby and JavaScript communities. And then now I'm a developer advocate, which is a fun role. It's really perfect for me.
0: Yeah, can you sort of explain what that is? Because it'd be interesting to understand a little bit more about that.
1: Definitely. And it's interesting too, because even people in the role, we discuss like what the role is very often. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's relatively new to the entire industry. It kind of was born out of the need to get users, specifically developer users, so a very, very intelligent engineering audience to use APIs. And so coming out of that, it's a little bit of a mix between engineering and marketing. So we are internally the connection between marketing, engineering, and and product to make sure that we're kind of relaying the wishes of the community back to the company and and sort of saying like this is where tech is headed these are the the languages that our people are really excited about these are the ideas people are talking about and this is what they need from this product this is the problems or friction points but also to kind of speak engineering to marketing and marketing to engineering you know like to be that sort of translator yes. because a lot of times those departments miss each other well-intentioned, like no one's malicious. It's just different priorities, different backgrounds. And so, yeah, we sort of help connecting that. And then outward facing, it kind of runs the gamut. So some developer advocates are highly, highly technical and code all day long and never talk because they just don't want to. And that's not their area of expertise. They would build like example apps, they uh, build out SDKs, things like that. So that's like, one sort of extreme. And on the other extreme, you have typically, um, the term evangelist is more labeled to people who are only speaking or, um, mostly writing, creating content, doing a lot of promotion and branding around something and everything in between, right? It's a very interesting role. No two days are the same.
0: (laughs) Cool. Okay. So, Emily, can you maybe tell us a unique career tip, one that the audience might not know and should?
1: The thing I have learned is it doesn't matter who you know. It matters who knows you. And it sort of came out of... This goes all the way back to Eddie and Emily. I had this one client, very impressive, well-spoken, but her, her whole business was very simple. And it sort of revolved around really 10 bullet points in a way. Um, You could have distilled it to that. Obviously, there's more. But she taught me a lot in how you sort of present yourself and how you build a personal brand and how you can kind of blend your professional and personal life to help your career move forward. And so one of the things I learned from her was this. When an opportunity comes up, you want to be the name that pops into their head. And for that, they have to know who you are.
0: Great. Yeah, absolutely right. So it's all about branding and positioning. And as you say, it's almost like self promotion and self marketing.
1: There's two sides of it, right? You, on one hand, feel, well, maybe I'm not good enough or not worthy enough. No one wants to hear from me. I don't have anything to contribute. And on the other side of that, it's like, well, isn't my work enough? Why do I have to promote myself? That feels kind of icky. And so I think just acknowledging that self-promotion and branding or personal branding, it's not something just for like really slicked back business people. You know, it's very like we can do it and it's really just highlighting what you do well. And you can be very honest about that too. Like there are things that I am good at and there are a lot of things I'm not good at. And I think the more honest you are about the whole picture, the more comfortable you can be highlighting and amplifying the, the pieces that you Really do um, contribute to the industry. Okay, Emily, can you maybe tell
0: us the story of your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience?
1: It was fascinating because my first job as an individual contributor, it was like an accelerator into finding out everything wrong with the industry. Um, <laughs> they were, I'm like a good group of people, and I'm so grateful that they they took a chance on me. I was a junior, I'm so. So incredibly uh, grateful to have had that opportunity. The entire setup of the engineering department was very sort of old school in that you had two operations folks who were in charge of deploying, monitoring. They were the only two people on call. The developers didn't have production access or anything, could, didn't really know how things were working from an operations standpoint would build a thing without really talking to the operations folks about how it needed to be maintained or scaled or, or distributed. And then you had a QA department, right? And I was on the dev side, and so I would build out a feature and throw it to QA, and they would run through it and sometimes toss it back and complain about something, and I'd fix that and toss it back. And, and then it, when they were satisfied, it would go over to operations in a, in a very complicated, long deployment cycle, It was such a fascinating experience to kind of just see all the problems with that and how much interpersonal conflict it creates, that sort of setup. It's almost impossible to overcome that from an individual's perspective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, that there's a lot to be said for for changes in the way... IT is delivered these days. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of corporates still follow that, what you might call a traditional waterfall approach, where it is handing the process on through a series of individuals. It does create friction and communication failure.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my, like the specific lowest point was, I was releasing, I was maintaining, I think an old like JRuby app that they had that they weren't really doing anything. It was just sort of propped up while they were rewriting another product. Again, like this is like every mistake any technical company has made um, was touched on during my tenure there. But um, I was kind of doing something with a hero image on the front page and it kept failing. It had something to do with like the CDN we were using. But <laughs> anyway, I ran into the same sort of issue with the same ops person. Like three times. I mean, same argument. This is what's happening. I can't see this aspect of it. Like this is obscure to me. Can you help? It was just such a blame heavy conversation. And the process of like working through that was like, no, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No. Yeah. <laughs> and so after going through that for like the third time, I was just very upset and angry and frustrated. And so I went into a more or less closet, like a little break room, and angry typed this abstract. And it was Humpty Dumpty, the story of DevOps gone wrong. And it kind of went into how Humpty is the deploy and <laughs> it's just terrible. Um, as soon as it goes live, everything breaks and uh, all the king's horses and all the king's men, you know, dev and ops, can't really fix it. And just kind of taking that as a springboard. And that ended up being my first talk that was accepted. I submitted it on a whim to a few places, ended up getting accepted to three conferences, a Java Day, Nordic API. So I got to go to Stockholm and uh, Kiev, which was really cool. And then the first American conference that I spoke at was uh, DevOps Days Madison. And for me, that was the highlight Of my career, even to this point, because I hadn't been an engineer very long when I spoke there. And just the fact that I would be invited was such a sort of honor for me. Yeah, Yeah, I was thrilled. And it kind of kicked off this whole other thing, which is I do a ton of conference speaking. I'm kind of slowing that down because I'm getting tired. (laughs) But it's such a blessing. I feel so uniquely blessed in this industry that I can kind of Talk to developers and then speak on behalf of all of us and kind of address some of the issues that we all face and hopefully solve some of those. So,
0: Emily, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT?
1: So, the thing I get really excited about is what I call the human side of tech. If I were to leave one mark on tech, it would be that I believe our technology is evolving so much faster than our brains that the big problems we face right now are human. Yeah. It's our patterns of behavior, it's our fears, it's how our brain functions and our limitations because of that. And sort of addressing those things, being honest about it, looking into like human error and and creating systems and processes that kind of like remove decision making process from the user and kind of takes that choice away which really helps the, the context switching and the sort of heaviness of a lot of parts of our jobs so that people can do what they do best, right? Which is engineer. So yeah, that's that's the thing I'm really excited about. I feel like the, the industry as a whole is sort of warming up to this. I think there's a lot of things kind of coming to the surface all at once. I think diversity and inclusion is another one of these things where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we have some people problems and that that's valuable too. I was talking to someone yesterday, a a junior who's just about to try and find her first job, and she was concerned that her background, again, like because she's a, she was a talker. (laughs) She described herself as a talker, and um, that that wouldn't be a good fit for an engineering role. And I said, no, 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 like that couldn't be further from the truth. Like your ability to communicate and connect people makes you a good engineer. All of those aspects of a human lend themselves to making them, I think, a better developer. And so kind of leaning into that and accepting that and and appreciating each other for the things they do well, I think is what I'm excited about.
0: Okay. We're going to go into the reveal round now. Are you ready for
1: this? Okay.
0: So what first attracted you to a career in IT?
1: I think the problems and the ability to think abstractly. So um, my first uh, internship was with a woman named Beth Rollins. She's awesome. She's a political consultant in Florida. And she describes herself as a tenacious problem solver. And I, I loved that. And I've kind of always um, kept that as something to work toward. I love puzzles. I love thinking about really complex issues and trying to distill the the major problem, the one sort of source of most of the issues and kind of, um, yes, fixing it. So I think that was the most exciting part, like the engineering side.
0: And what is the best career advice you've ever received?
1: I think to be you, I had a mentor one time give me this plaque and it said, be you, nobody does it better. And at the time, like I was in my early twenties and I was, you know, you, when you enter into certain jobs or certain careers or whatever, we feel like we need to behave a certain way or be a certain way or kind of put on this facade. And I think when you are your authentic self, you are your best self. And the more I have leaned into, like, who I really am and just being really honest and humble and and appreciative and giving as much as I possibly can, that's when I've seen the most success come back to me.
0: If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do?
1: I would rewind all the way back <laughs> to school um, and focus, even if I didn't necessarily get a CS degree, I would personally like to know more about some of the true computer science like the theories behind it i do feel like that's one of the the areas for me personally that's that needs growth and something that i find super fascinating a few people in tech are actually focusing on this and and doing sort of cs fundamentals in a really friendly way so i'll find some links and kind of put them in the show notes if that's possible
0: great yeah and what career objectives are you currently focusing on?
1: So there's always like growth, right? Like I am very excited to to move on to the next challenge, whatever that is. I again like love solving problems. And so I think I think my biggest objective would be to solve increasingly bigger problems. I think when I kind of get good at at solving one i want to kind of f- apply those lessons learned to the next the next stage and uh kind of keep going from there
0: and what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far
1: absolutely my writing i am so grateful that i had so much time to devote to like really i won't say mastering because you're you're never really a master are you but putting so much practice into writing. And when people ask like how they write well, there's a there's a few tips just off the hand and that's write like you speak. I think a lot of times our English teachers in, in school gave us a, or did us a disservice when they kind of made writing so much more formal yes. than conversation. Yeah. And I think the best writing is conversational and friendly and approachable and honest you're being authentic and true so that's a huge thing uh just write like you speak and then write for one person and that one person can be you that one person can you be your mom that one person can be your colleague or your best friend but think about that one person and write for them and that'll make your writing a lot more targeted and a lot more clear and concise
0: yeah no that's a great tip so Emily, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience?
1: Yes. Um, so my my what I tell all the people I mentor, and some people probably aren't going to like this, but if you have to choose between becoming better at something or promoting yourself, I would vote for promoting yourself. And it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be in a thing, but your time is limited and the people who are the quote unquote experts in this industry, a lot of times aren't necessarily the most technical. They're just the most visible. And I think this is one of the biggest um, misunderstood parts of our industry. Like take me for example, right? I I'm up on stage a lot. I write a lot. I create a lot of content because I have time to do it because I'm being paid to do that. And so someone who's being paid to be an individual contributor, they're not going to have that same amount of time. And so just, just to know that the people who are the thought leaders, they aren't necessarily any more special than you. They're simply more visible. And when you kind of like really embody that, I think people can start to feel empowered to, to start showcasing what they do really, really well and to, to focus on what they love.
0: And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and potentially connect with you?
1: Yes, I love making new friends. Um Twitter's probably the fastest way of getting to me. My email inbox is an ongoing dumpster fire. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I am editing emily at twitter, so e d i t i n g e m i l y. And then my website is emilyfreeman.io.
0: Emily, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: My thanks to Emily for being my guest on today's show. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash E74. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Sam Jarman, creator of the Junior Dev Diaries blog series. Thanks again for listening. And remember, If you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.